In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Senate debate is on. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Lustein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Coming up later, how Speaker... David Ralston is trying to de-emphasize social issues and a very special segment we just know you're going to love. But first, Patricia, we have late breaking news that the debate between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker is a go. This ends a long, long running drama that has gone on for months and it sets up what will be a nationally watched showdown for a race that could determine control of the U.S. Senate. Yes, I am already thinking to myself, oh, my God, what is going to happen in that debate? (laughs) Because I don't know if anybody loves a debate as much as I do, except maybe you. And this is a debate that needed to happen. It's a debate that we have been waiting for months to get on the books. I had an absolutely glorious column that was supposed to run in the AJC print edition on Wednesday morning. It was a thousand words of gorgeous, persuasive prose that I had to... stabbed to death (laughs) after I filed it um, because we had some late breaking news that this debate actually is going to happen. My point was that this debate needed to happen. I really wasn't sure why the Warnock campaign was not sort of just going to go ahead and meet Herschel Walker in Savannah. Warnock has done this many times. Walker never has. There are lots of risks for the Walker campaign that we can get into. But the big news is that unlike my worst fears that we would have a Senate campaign without a Senate debate, that is no longer the case. They will be meeting in Savannah on stage. There will be two moderators. Russ Spencer from uh, Atlanta viewers will know him well. Russ Spencer from Fox 5 Atlanta will be one of the moderators. There will also be a Savannah moderator as well. It'll be kind of an old-fashioned televised debate. There will be an audience, a studio audience, which is something that the Walker campaign had wanted. And we get to see him next to each other for the first time ever. Yeah, and there's been a long and sordid history that led up to this agreement that was struck late Tuesday. Basically, to catch you listeners up, for months, Herschel Walker said he would debate Raphael Warnock any place, anytime, whenever. But he bypassed debates against his Republican rivals in the Senate primary, saying he was focused just on a matchup with Raphael Warnock. But when it came time to actually set up that matchup, Raphael Warnock said, hey, okay, I'm good with three different debates, one in Atlanta, 
one in Savannah, one in Macon. And then for weeks, Herschel Walker really didn't commit to any of them, just kept on saying, I'm going to debate him any place, anytime. Then in a surprise move, basically said, I'm okay with debating, but a fourth debate in Savannah. So it looked like the clash, the stalemate would go on. But then kind of out of the blue, Senator Warnock's staff said, look, Senator will, will do debate if you meet a couple conditions. One is no topics ahead of time, which Herschel Walker quickly agreed upon. The second was, and you have to agree to another debate either in Macon or Atlanta. And then we had this breakthrough just on Tuesday where basically what looks like happened is Senator Warnock said, you know what? I'm willing just to bite the bullet and say yes to a debate, even if I didn't get all my conditions for the benefit that he hopes will be to show up on stage because he he hopes to show a pretty stark contrast. But Patricia, so does so does Herschel Walker. There's expectations are gonna be fairly low for Herschel Walker, much higher for Senator Warnock, who is a pastor for Ebenezer Baptist Church, who has participated in plenty of debates before. Um, so this has risks and rewards for both the candidates. It definitely does. And if you go back and look at previous Senate debates, we I, people say to me all the time, yeah, but do debates really matter? Yes, debates really do matter. I think that a big turning point for John Ossoff's race against David Perdue was when David Perdue did not show up to their single debate in the runoff. And uh, well, Ossoff really handed it to that podium, <laughs> that empty <laughs> lectern. He really, he really debated that better than I thought anyone actually could debate an empty lectern and essentially said, your senator, David Perdue, thinks he's entitled to this seat. He thinks he doesn't have to show up and he's either doesn't think he can cut it against me or he's afraid of implicating himself, basically. Um, and so it was a very effective debate for John Ossoff and that the fact that Purdue wasn't there, the fact that Ossoff really was very well prepared to have the unusual situation of debating alone, I felt like really turned that momentum. I also think that Kelly Loeffler's debate against Raphael Warnock, when she very memorably and very robotically called him radical liberal Raphael Warnock more than a dozen times, that just sort of blew up nationally into a big national news story. And you and I were both on cable news programs the next day, where the only story really was Kelly Loeffler repeating over and over and over and over radical liberal Raphael Warnock. And it just overshadowed all of the issues that were being discussed as well. And so these debates, I think, have the potential to have huge swings on the portion of the electorate that is still undecided. Most voters are not undecided, but some are, and it's an important number of voters who are. And this is going to be one of the few examples that they have to really see these men next to each other doing an exchange of issues and also evaluating them. Are they ready in Herschel Walker's case to do this job? Can he meet those expectations? Even if they're low, can he do it? And so I think he obviously has the highest bar to clear, but it doesn't mean that he can't do it. And I think it's going to be just fascinating and get huge amounts of national attention when it happens. Yeah. Congrats to Next Star Media, which set up this debate, which landed the only debate. It looks like the only debate. We still have not heard from Herschel Walker whether he will participate in a second debate. That remains to be seen, but time is running thin, yep. even if he were to decide. you know, th- That's why this news is so important, because I know, although it's a month away, it takes a long time to set up these nationally watched debates. We have statements in from both camps. Herschel Walker's statement is, I'm glad to see that Raphael Warnock has agreed to face the voters. He has a lot of explaining to do. He goes on to say that, this is predictable. He goes on to say that Raphael Warnock has voted with Joe Biden 
over 96% of the time, giving us high gas prices, empty shelves, and out-of-control inflation. I'm looking forward to October 14th so voters can see the contrast between us. We also have a statement from Senator Raphael Warnock's campaign manager, Quentin Folks, who says, Someone had to put an end to Herschel Walker's games, and today Reverend Warnock showed again why he is the best person for the job, agreeing to Walker's preferred debate so Georgians would have at least one opportunity to see the clear choice they have in this election. And he still said he is open to that second debate, which we have not heard Herschel Walker agree to yet. But either way, it's setting up this this big showdown that's going to get all sorts of national attention and all sorts of analysis from folks like me and you about what it means for this election. Yeah, absolutely. And I will look to see what Herschel Walker says directly to Raphael Warnock. There has been some movement in Herschel Walker's approach to Raphael Warnock. Initially, it was sort of some version of, I think that uh, Raphael Warnock is a good person and a nice man. I just disagree with his policies. Now, when we hear him on the stump, he is accusing uh, Raphael Warnock and Democrats of being racist, of using race to divide Georgians against each other, of painting himself as the uniter in the race. And of course, Raphael Warnock paints himself as the uniter in the race. And so these two men who have really similar backgrounds in a lot of ways. They both are really self-made, grew up without a whole lot of financial resources, family, very, very important to both of them, both quite deeply religious, yet they have found themselves on just these polar opposite sides of the political spectrum. They both have their own reasons for ending up that way. And that'll be a big piece of, of what voters get to learn as well in this debate. I'm looking to see whether or how Senator Warnock will use Herschel Walker's past history of, of violent incidents involving his now ex-wife. We saw the first direct ad from Herschel from Raphael Warnock's campaign attacking Herschel Walker over that using footage of his ex-wife, Sidney Grossman's comments about his violent threats against her. I would be shocked if this doesn't come up some in some form or fashion on the debate stage. And, and it might be one of the one of the most significant moments of the debate. Something else that voters are going to see are this huge contrast in the political positions that these two men have. Abortion is absolutely the biggest contrast. Herschel Walker has said he does not approve of abortion under any circumstances, including rape or incest. Raphael Warnock has really been at the entirely other end of that spectrum and said politicians have no business in this conversation at all. It really is for a woman and her doctor and her family and her faith to decide. That's just a huge, that's a huge issue in this debate. And that's going to be certainly a part of what is discussed. I think these two men's approach to the economy is really, really different. Their approaches to just about anything that they would be up there talking about, you know, a lot of their rhetoric is somewhat similar, talking about uniting people, talking about giving people opportunity, but there's just a gigantic gulf in the path that they each say they would take in Washington to get that done. See you in Savannah. We'll have so much more on this debate in the weeks to come. Now on to some other news. Your AJC crew got to spend some time in Athens this weekend with Governor Brian Kemp to see firsthand how he's trying to capitalize off of Georgia football. And it was producer Shaney B's first trip to Athens on a game day. Is that right, Shane? That is correct. My second time in Athens and my first time on a game day. Well, it was quite the day to go because not only, of course, did we have a work reason to go, but it was also the, the home opener for the defending national championship, Georgia Bulldogs. And Shane and Patricia, I mean, we saw the governor out there like he has been really since 
for the last 20 years, since 2002, since his state Senate bid, he has been emphasizing his deep red and black roots. He's been campaigning at tailgates. And certainly this year, um, with the Bulldogs' popularity at all-time highs, you know, number one ranked team coming off a national championship, you're not about to see that strategy change. No. I mean, listen, the University of Georgia, uh, first of all, it is a huge power center for this state. If you go down to the state capitol, you will meet multiple, multiple dogs, double dogs, which means they got two degrees from the University of Georgia, triple dogs. I've I'm sure there's some out there. Um, so it's uh, it really is a training ground for people here in Georgia for leadership. Also, it's one of the strongest brands in the state when you think about its football team. Herschel Walker is seeing firsthand the benefits of that brand. And so, you know, sometimes candidates go into an event and you can tell they're not quite comfortable or it's just not really their scene or they're just trying to put on a good show, you know, because it's political season. That is not the case with Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker. It's like, it's like, he's a dolphin and we've returned him to the sea. He loves it so <laughs> much. And he was getting some hard-hitting questions about who is his current favorite Georgia football player. And although Marty Kemp, the first lady, suggested he not answer that tough one, um, he even had an answer for that. So yes, he was in his happy place and getting a lot of work done because that's tens of thousands of potential voters up there. It's a captive audience. as a lot of younger voters. And it's also a chance for him to sort of reinforce his messaging. There was a Republican tailgate hosted by the college Republicans on North Campus, and hundreds of folks showed up. He shook hands with supporters for about an hour, it seemed, before he took a few questions. You mentioned that he talked to the AJC sports crew. And his answer, by the way, was Lad McConkie, who is a uh, who is a young whiteout who is not very... Um, Tout, highly touted, not nearly as high, highly touted some other Georgia players, but he's been a standout so far. I also asked the governor why he's spending time campaigning at so many Georgia tailgates. Great politics, great place to campaign. Uh, obviously, we've done that really my whole political career. We did it back when I ran for state senate. Had a lot of college Republicans helping us then. They helped me when I was running for secretary of state and as governor. And it's great to be back on the re-elect. I tell you, it's really good to see so much energy out here today. And this is the third tailgate we've hit. So we're working hard. That was the third tailgate of the day. He was going to go from there to, I'm sure, a box seat somewhere at the stadium to do even more hobnobbing. But he really does feel at home there. And, and Patricia, you mentioned earlier, Herschel Walker, same page, right? Herschel Walker wasn't at that game, uh, but he was at the Georgia kickoff game at Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where he was on the field with a number of Republican statewide contenders and his former coach, Vince Dooley, who was celebrating his 90th birthday. We've seen Herschel Walker's events steeped in the red and black. He even uh, recently filmed a little uh, fundraising ad in front of his Heisman Trophy. And really, at every event that we've been to, we've seen people with 34 jerseys, with memorabilia to try to get him to sign, with very long selfie lines, not just to voters, but a lot of fans too. Yeah, you know, I was actually talking to his campaign earlier today because we were at an event and indeed there was a man in a 34 jersey there who was, I mean, 
obviously a Herschel Walker fan, ready to vote for him, uh, has been a fan of his for more than 40 years. It's actually hard for the Walker campaign to hit multiple, multiple stops a day because there are so many people who want to take a picture with him and want to sign, have him sign autographs. He's not your average candidate who can just kind of like zoom in and zoom out. So they, it's a bit of a logistical problem, but it's the exact kind of problem that you want. People are so intent on seeing your candidate shaking hands and having even a reminder, something to a keepsake to take with them. He has a a voter base that is also a fan base that is unbelievably devoted. And I think that Democrats outside of Georgia underestimate the potency of the people who really are going to go out and vote for Herschel Walker. You can just see it at these events. They are not asking themselves, hmm, is this person up for the job? They are like, when am I going to get my picture taken with this guy? <laughs> and by the way, I love him. You know, so he's got a real, it is, it is really valuable to see him in person at these events, especially smaller events. I also saw him at a huge event where the dynamic was very similar. Um, now, he obviously, he needs to get into different events where it's not all people waiting for autographs, but it is an asset to him, and it all started there in Athens 40 years ago. Where he made his name. Look, this is not a dynamic unique to Republicans. Stacey Abrams, Senator Raphael Warnock, have both called the dog. Stacey Abrams went to a tailgate, Georgia's first game, to, to hang out with some fans. I'm sure she'll be in Athens at some point. Also down the ballot, you've got folks like Jen Jordan, Charlie Bailey, nominees for attorney general and lieutenant governor, respectively. Other UGA fans who are doing the same thing. They're, they're going to be holding events in Athens. They're going to be trying to reach the the tens of thousands of prospective voters, really 100,000 people descend on Athens, maybe even more some games um, for every home game, and not to mention the uh, the tens of thousands of students and others who are already there and sometimes it's a um, it's a venue for some uh, some shenanigans. In 2018, I was with the governor when he was giving a campaign speech on North Campus, and just as he started speaking, there was a plane that flew overhead that was financed by the Georgia Democratic Party that read with a banner that said. Brian Kemp says, go Vols. And of course, that's the Tennessee Volunteers, <laughs> one of Georgia's arch nemeses. And uh, the governor, when I saw him on Saturday, this past Saturday, he said, Bluestein, is there going to be another banner? I said, not that I know of. We'll see. And I could see him kind of nervously looking at the sky above him to see if a plane was going to peek out. Um, but, you know, two can play at that game. We certainly see Democrats trying to needle Kemp over his fandom. But he was asked by a national reporter if his embrace of the red and black could turn off some fans. You don't want to change a good horse you're riding, so we've just kept the, kept the colors the same. And even my Georgia Tech friends understand that, so it's, it's all good. That has been a part of his sort of campaign ethos from the get-go. He's an Athens native. He's a diehard Georgia fan. And Patricia, when our sports reporters were asking him all these in-depth questions about Georgia lore, he could rattle off his favorite games, his favorite stadiums, like that. Oh, yes. One of his favorite past players. I, I mean, don't even ask me what the name was. I went to Vanderbilt. 
<laughs> where the, the football does not run quite as wide and deep. Um, but he said, yeah, I like so-and-so. I knew his son. We grew up next to him. You know, I mean, these are his people. These are his people. Now, it would be remiss of us not to say that Georgia Tech has its small and mighty fan section in Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. Um, but also, Lieutenant this Governor is, Jeff Duncan as well. Excuse me. Yes, outgoing, but still Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. And um, the Atlanta University Center is having a real moment now as well because uh, between uh, Stacey Abrams, who went to Spelman, and Raphael Warnock, who went to Morehouse, this is a moment of immense pride. And quite frankly, the reason that HBCUs are telling their students that this is a leadership Institute. This is a place where we grow leaders for the black community. And these are not just black leaders. These are statewide leaders. And so Mm -hmm. um, I've been to events down at Atlanta University Center as well. And as much as Brian Kemp gets the red, literally the red carpet rolled out for him at the University of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, it it was like Oprah could have walked in. They liked her better than Oprah, obviously, because she went to Spelman. So there is a a huge amount of really varying points of pride. Um, It also really tells the story of the state and state politics, I think, as well, because the University of Georgia, obviously, that's kind of like a long time traditional bastion of Georgia power. And the Atlanta University Center now is really creating the leaders for it feels like the next generation of Georgia leaders as well. And especially with the Democrats uh, support for efforts to relieve some student debt that has become a part of their campaign messaging. We've both been to events on college campuses with Stacey Abrams, where she's promoting not just the federal plan to relieve college debt, but also a separate plan that she has to legalize sports betting, which would be my ruin, um, <laughs> and, and also to legalize casino gambling in order to fund an expansion of the Hope Scholarship and to finance for the first time a needs-based scholarship that goes to folks, not just those who have a B plus or, or higher, but who show a financial need for that aid. Yes. Now, John Ossoff went to Georgetown, so he doesn't get in on any of this, but I was down at Morehouse recently, and uh, he stays also in very close touch with those leaders. That is a real point of pride for Georgia senators. And then they all have a great uh, relationship, of course, with both Ossoff and Warnock. And I think that that is a big piece of where the student debt relief conversation started. That was certainly what was talked about when I was down there. And Warnock is able to now bring that home to Georgia. Georgia, as he's going around his statewide tours and saying, look at this, what I was able to do, because I am the senator from Georgia now. Now we want to shift to another statewide politician with a UGA diploma, and that would be House Speaker David Ralston, who's the speaker, I guess you can consider him a statewide politician, because he's the second most powerful person in the state, although sometimes... Sometimes uh, the first. Sometimes the first. (laughs) And we had a really interesting item in the jolt on Tuesday, which led with the speech he gave down in Savannah, where he talked for the first time about his vision for the 2023 legislative session. Patricia, no matter who wins the governor's race, it is looking, it'll be a stunner if Republicans don't maintain control of the Georgia legislature and the Georgia House, which means that whoever's the governor, Speaker Ralston will remain a very, very powerful figure Uh, second or first most in the state. And what struck me about that speech is he talked about his view of this upcoming session as the opportunity session, where he's going to talk about where where he wants lawmakers to tackle infrastructure and green energy and uh, helping these, the the new auto plants, Rivian and Hyundai bring its products to market and helping other uh, speed uh, freight 
traffic in Georgia. But what it was missing was any mention whatsoever of divisive social issues. He said he spoke to our dear friend, University of Georgia political scientist, Audrey Haynes' applied politics program, where he was struck by how optimistic those students were and how little they cared for the culture wars that have really dominated the last few legislative sessions. Yeah, well, I think that Speaker Ralston's comments are are pretty consistent with who he is and who he's always been as a leader. He has really focused more on economic issues than major, major social issues. But there are certainly factions within his caucus that do push those social issues. Um, So although he didn't seem to be a huge proponent of bringing up that six-week abortion ban, it was nonetheless his House and uh, the State Senate and the governor who signed that. That is not polling well in Georgia right now. That bill and particular, HB 481 has about 36% support here in the state. Now, other issues that pull much higher and are much more favorable to Republicans are the state's economy, the jobs that are being created here in the state. And so I think it's consistent both with the current political climate, as well as who Ralston has been as a legislator, that that is what he is most interested in. His job also is to return a majority back to mm. the state capitol. And so he is not going to say anything between now and then to endanger that for his majority. Part of the reason they will have a majority is because of redistricting. And they have very carefully redrawn the lines in the state house and senate to allow for some democratic growth, which is undeniable just based on the demographics and the new voters here in the state, but that also holds those majorities more than likely. So if if by some circumstance, Democrats were to overtake the House or the Senate at the state level, that would be a gargantuan surprise. And it would also signal a lot of other races that Republicans expected to win, they did not win. So that would be part of a huge wave election in the opposite direction if anything like that were to happen here in Georgia. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Speaker Ralston is the reason why some of these contentious proposals, really all of them, reached a vote because very little, if anything, reaches a vote in the Georgia House without at least his implicit support for it getting to that vote. So the reason why we have the anti-abortion law, the reason why we have uh, votes on transgender issues, on school issues, on gun expansions this past session, the reason why we had a religious liberty vote back in 2016 was because uh, at the very minimum, Speaker Ralston uh, gave his sign-off on that legislation to at least hit the floor of the Georgia House. But at the same time, Patricia, he's seen as the safety valve. That's a phrase mm, I hear yes. over and over again from not just some Republicans yeah. privately, but many Democrats rely on him to kind of be that uh, more cautious gauge against some of the more controversial hot-button legislation that comes out of both chambers. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe him and describe um, the amount of, frankly, respect for him in the chamber among Democrats and Republicans or Republicans and Democrats. I guess you could flip that because Democrats, I think, see him as a steady leader who may not do what they want their own leader to do, but is not going to be pushing as much extreme legislation, I guess that's the word they would use, um, that that would get through anyway. John Boehner, when he was speaker, used to have a saying that if you're a leader without followers, you're just taking a walk. So the leaders really need to do things that their caucus wants them to do, or else they won't be the leaders anymore. So there's an extent to which a speaker, any speaker, can kind of have their imprint on their caucus, have their imprint on the general contours of legislation. But if the caucus wants it, they want it. 
you know, and if they need it to win, they need it to win. And there's nothing any speaker can do to derail that without losing their job in the process. And so far, Ralston has walked that line very successfully in a state where the Republican Party has all the same problems or situations. It's not maybe it's not a problem, has all the same dynamics in Georgia as it does in Washington. There's a much more conservative group. There's a more uh, more moderate group. They don't always agree with each other. And a a leader who everyone can respect gets them through to the next election with their majority intact. And so he's been real successful at that so far. And you mentioned sometimes it's the caucus, other times it's the governor. And um, we've seen Speaker Ralston go from this sort of rivalry, testy rivalry with Governor Kemp to acceding to uh, many of his legislative priorities, even if the Speaker himself didn't feel comfortable with them. And it comes first and foremost to my mind is the transgender legislation that really paved the way for a state high school authorities to ban transgender women from competing in high school women's athletics. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. For a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. That's politics, investigations, breaking news, the Braves playoff run, dining, UGA Football, all of our newsletters, including The Jolt, for less than a buck. It's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we have a very special segment today with AJC Washington columnist Jamie Dupree, Few reporters have covered D.C. longer than Jamie, including his decades at WSB Radio. However, Jamie lost his ability to speak a few years ago, and Cox Enterprises invested in voice synthesis technology that allows Jamie to get back on the radio then and now join us on our podcast. So because of that, we want to start using Jamie to dig deep into what's going on in Washington and how it affects Georgia. Now, the voice that the listeners are about to hear, it won't sound exactly like the old Jamie, but it's very, very close. And we assure you, it is the same old Jamie Dupree who we have gotten to rely on so much for all of his insight in Washington. And I know our readers and listeners will as well. 
So, Jamie, we've reported on how national Republicans aren't distancing themselves from Herschel Walker, but rather they're pouring even more resources into the race. Why do you think that is? Well, Greg, I really think a couple of things are at play right now when it comes to the Georgia race for U.S. Senate. The biggest advantage for Herschel Walker might well be Governor Brian Kemp, simply because if you look around at other states where Republicans are behind in a Senate race, part of the reason is because the GOP does not have a good candidate for governor at the top of the ticket. Pennsylvania is a good example of that. But in Georgia, Governor Kemp might have the ability to drag Walker over the finish line in November as the polls have routinely showed Kemp running a few points ahead of Walker, which of course raises all kinds of questions about Herschel's campaign. National Republicans, I think, have just decided that maybe a big infusion of money might make the difference against Senator Warnock, but I'm not so sure they're really confident of victory. First of all, it is so good to hear Jamie's voice on Amen. any kind of audio whatsoever. Welcome back, Jamie Dupree. And welcome back to your voice, Jamie Dupree. Um, and what a great point. I had not really given a whole lot of consideration to how that Pennsylvania governor's race might be affecting the Pennsylvania Senate race. I do think Jamie really nailed the dynamic with Washington Republicans. They have pretty much, obviously, what choice do they have? They know Herschel Walker's their candidate. There's not much they can do about that if they want to change it. It's too late for that. However, um, there's a very good chance that an infusion of money could bring him across the line because Governor Kemp is looking very strong right now. You know, all of these things still have to play out. But Washington Republicans are absolutely behind Herschel Walker. This is a state they want. It's a candidate they believe is capable of winning. And if it requires tens of millions of dollars from them to get the job done, they're ready to spend that. I mean, they believe enough in Walker to invest heavily in his campaign against Warnock. And it's close enough that that kind of spending really does make a difference. And Patricia, I thought Jamie made such a good point about Governor Kemp potentially pulling Herschel Walker across the finish line, because as we've seen, the governor's not only out polling Herschel Walker, but he's also benefiting from a split ticket dynamic where a significant number of Senator Warnock's supporters, 4% in the last AJC poll, are also Governor Kemp supporters. And another 4% of the Libertarian Senate candidates' supporters are also Governor Kemp supporters. So we have not seen Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp campaign yet together. We've seen them at the same events, but we haven't seen them kind of uh, promote each other's candidacy on the same stage together yet. But I expect them to eventually do so because as folks you know, in the Republican world certainly know, the Senate ads from the GOP are aren't just helping Herschel Walker. They're also helping Brian Kemp. So it is in Kemp's best interest to encourage the NRSC, to encourage Mitch McConnell, who recently held a fundraiser for Brian Kemp just a few days ago, to continue pouring in cash for Herschel Walker's race. And as Jamie mentioned, they don't have any alternative. This might be their best bet for trying to flip control of the U.S. Senate. Yes. And many Republicans I talk to just firmly believe Republicans will come home at the end of the day, that that is the muscle memory built into this state. And of all races, that Senate race is probably the easiest to nationalize and the easiest to put your opinion of Joe Biden ahead in your mind over whether or not you're crazy about this candidate. Now, 
as we've said, some people are completely crazy about Herschel Walker, don't need a reason to vote for him. They're going to do it anyway. Um, But for those voters who are currently Kemp Warnock voters, is there a way that Republicans can get the rest of the Republicans, the rest of the people in their own party to come across um, so that they can have those two candidates lining up evenly and in their best case scenario, winning both of those races. Literally everybody wins if Herschel Walker wins. Kemp does not want a situation where there are soft Republicans, people who think, well, maybe he's going to win anyway, and I don't really care what happens in the Senate race. You know, they need Republicans to go out and vote consistently get out there and vote for Kemp. And while they're at it, go ahead and vote for Herschel Walker. The governor would love to have a Republican member of the Senate right now, particularly if that if that chamber flips to be GOP controlled. Now, these are all like 100 million hypotheticals all in one. But this is this hypothetical is Governor Brian Kemp's perfect world (laughs) where he's the governor (laughs) and he's got a Republican senator dealing with a Republican led U.S. Senate. That's their best case scenario. And that's what they're working toward. And we'll have all sorts of fresh data to go over later this month when the latest AJC UGA poll comes out. We were busy planning for some of the stories that we may or may not end up writing, depending on the outcome, over the next few weeks. Well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's staffed 24-7 by Shaney B. He lost all of his interns, so it's really just him. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we will play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B., you got to meet our little chimney squeak. That's my daughter who gets prank calls. Oh, <laughs> or she thought it was chimney squeak. Either way, her voice was... Sweep, someone who sweeps chimneys. Her, her British accent was quite squeaky that day, so either one works. But she was in tow with me at the um, at the UGA game. You got to hang out with her a little bit. Um, I was decked out in my red and black gear because I was going right from the tailgate to the football game. But um, did, did she scare you away in person, Cheney B.? No, no. She was delightful. She was delightful. In fact, I got to meet the whole Bluestein family. My wife was there and my other daughter, Nicole, was there and all of them <laughs> left as soon as they, they're not as much into the whole political events, regardless of the party, but they wanted to go. I'm sure they were gallivanting around downtown Athens buying UGA gear for their eventual hopeful admissions into the University of Georgia. Well, we appreciate you listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday, whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash 
unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,